So every year that my wife, my wife's birthday rolls around, it is a test from the Lord, not from her. She's sweet as can be, but it's a test for me from the Lord as to how well I listen. And so here's my defense. Um, the, the, this year it went horribly wrong, and uh, here's what happened. Um, I remember, I was going through the store grabbing some things, and then I saw on the shelf something that sparked a memory. I saw a bag of donuts, and I remember that back in the, it wasn't the only thing I got. But it was like, I remember back in the day, one of her favorite breakfasts would be a little bag of those Mrs. Baird's or Hostess donuts with the, the little chocolate-covered ones, and she'd put a few on a plate, microwave about 18 seconds, and then you just eat that with a fork, and man, that was good. And so I saw that, and I was like, oh, sweet, throwback. This is like nostalgia points. Like, I was paying attention. I took notes. And uh, what I failed to remember was that for the past three years, she's been gluten-free. And so I was like, uh, the thought that counts? I don't know. So it turns out I, I didn't do a very good job of listening. And so I had grabbed on to this sort of command from the past. And instead of real-time, present-day listening to her voice. And don't we do that with the Lord far too often? Whenever we take some old commands from the Lord and build a way of life around that to obey rather than real time listening to the voice of a living God. We create a religion. We create a way of life that's built on rules that we look to and obey rather than looking to and obeying the person. And it's so tragic because what God invaded our world to do for his people Israel and for us in Christ is so much more. He wanted to do so much more than give us a religion. He gave us himself. He wanted relationship with you and I. So I want you to think about, I want you to ask this question, what What's my chocolate donut? What's my, what is my religious practice that I've just kind of built on old data like, like a jar of manna that's gone long spoiled by now that you've taken old data and built some practices on those things that maybe we don't even have to think about anymore because it's just obvious. These are the things that identify me as a Christian. What religious practices, what rhythms do you have that just say, this is what Christians do. I do this because this is what Christians do. What are those for you? Is that things like, I go to church every week. I go, I go to this building. I read my Bible. I, I go to Bible studies. There are certain TV shows and movies that I watch that I'm supposed to and others that I don't watch I'm not supposed to. Uh, and what he's done is so much more than give us things to do and not to do. But what are those things for you that if you're not careful, you can catch yourself sliding into? What are those things that identify you as a Christian? 
Because the truth is there's a big difference between being a Christian and listening to the Lord. Those are not necessarily the same thing. One requires muscle memory and nothing else. (laughs) And the other requires intentional, daily striving to seek the face and listen to the voice of the Lord. So as we dig into the passage, I want you to ask yourself, which one is more true of me right now? Which one is more true? I am a Christian or I listen to the Lord? Turn to Jeremiah chapter seven. The context here is this is after King Saul and then King David and his son, King Solomon, and because of unrepentant idolatry, God took Solomon's kingdom and split it into two. There was the northern kingdom of 10 tribes with a bunch of evil kings. And then there was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin in the south, known as Judah, and they um, had a handful of good kings. And what happened in 722 is Assyria came in and attacked the north, took them captive and scattered them. And then in the stories of Kings and Chronicles, this is where it zooms in and focuses on this southern kingdom. And you see this man come to power, this king that is more evil than all the rest, Manasseh. And he led God's people into idol worship. And he brought the the poles and the altars and the elements of false worship into the temple of God. And he led the Israelites into sacrificing their own children in the fire, worshiping the God of Molech that he learned from the nations around them. And then right after him, his son Josiah came and cleaned house. And there was the reforms where he got rid of all that. And there was massive repentance and it was awesome. And then in 609 BC, he died. And so right after that, you can guess what happened. Some of that old idolatry started to creep right back in. And this is the context that the prophet Jeremiah is speaking into. And God is pronouncing the coming judgment on God's people who have allowed false idol worship to come in and creep in. And it's not just idol worship, it's also syncretism where they would take the practices and things that the world around them and the way that they worshiped and say, hey, let's just combine these two. And all of it was abhorrent to God. And that's why you had things being moved into the temple of God. And so he pronounces judgment through the prophet Jeremiah. So, Jeremiah chapter seven, verse one. And Jeremiah is prophesying to a group of people who have, rather than knowing the Lord and listening to his voice, have taken his law and built themselves a religious way of life. 
and thought that was good enough and that saves them and is worthy of their trust. Chapter seven, verse one, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who entered the gates to worship the Lord. So this would be like if one of your elders, if Leon was at the front door as you walk in saying, you're coming in here to worship, but before you come into worship, I need to warn you about something. You're not just safe because you're in this building. And here's the warning, verse three. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways Amend can be translated, change your ways or reform your ways or just repent. Amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. What deceptive words? This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, which the implication is the deceptive words are because this is the temple of the Lord, you're safe here. He says, don't listen to those deceptive words. Instead, you amend your ways. You gotta repent. Verse five, you'll hear a little bit of repetition. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, and notice this is an if then. You've got several ifs and one then here. If you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then. Now let's talk about these ifs real quick. There's two main categories, towards, towards one another and towards God. So first he's saying, if you will repent and stop all the injustice, because God's people are supposed to be taking care of the vulnerable, marginalized, outcast people around them. And instead, they're taking advantage of them in their weakness to build themselves up and to take advantage. So that's why he's saying justice. Repent and execute justice. And then towards God, what is it? That they're going after other gods. So as you've seen through the whole book of Jeremiah, this language of idolatry put right next to uh, sexual sin and adultery, spiritual adultery and idolatry go hand in hand and it's going after other lovers. So they're going after other gods. They're cheating on God to their own harm. So this, this is what he says at the gate. You're coming into worship. You think you're good because you're here. And he says, I'm warning you, you have to amend your ways and do justice to one another and take care of the, the vulnerable rather than taking advantage of them and stop worshiping any other God or thing other than me. Repent, amend your ways. And if you do, then, verse seven, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. This is the promised land in which the temple of God is. And they're say, he's saying, if you will repent, you get to dwell with me. And this is the point of the promised land and the point of the temple is for God to dwell with his people, to come and be with them in intimate relationship. 
And he says, the building isn't gonna save you, but if you will repent, you can have intimate relationship with me. And so that's the truth. So what are the deceptive words? He hits on it again in verse eight. Behold, you trust in deceptive words and it doesn't work to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. A den, if you think about an animal being chased by a predator, jumps into a den. It's a place of security, of protection, of being hidden from an enemy. And he's saying, God is saying to his people, you think that you can go disobeying me, living in rebellion, basically doing, doing whatever you want to do and then run to the temple and dive in and find safety and security here? Do you think that my temple is a place of protection and shelter for robbers, a den of robbers? And you think, I don't see what's going on. I see you. I see what you're doing. He says, behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And he's talking about in verse nine, these are all 10 commandments that they are breaking. And he says, you think you can do all those things and then just run to the temple and say, we are delivered and that you're safe. It reminds me of when you see kids playing tag and like this is base and they'll run over and get right up in your face and go, I'm safe. And then the really snotty ones will like get in your face and go, ha, 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 up, and try to mock you and be just close enough to be able to have some fun, but also be safe. And this is what they're doing. They're mocking God by living however they want to live and then coming to home base and saying, I'm good. I'm part of the club. I've got the membership card. I come to the building. I'm here. So I'm safe. And it stirs his wrath and his anger. You're not safe here. You can't trust in any place to save you. No place can save you. There's only one who can save you. And all he wants is a humble, repentant, broken heart. Someone who's humbly willing to amend his ways. So he says, you're not safe just because you made it to the building. And if you want a historical example of this, look at verse 12. <clears throat> Go now to my place that was in Shiloh. Shiloh was the first place that he, when they entered into the promised land, that they, he set his name to dwell in the Ark of the Covenant was there. This was before uh, Solomon built this big massive temple. It was in Shiloh. And so he says, if you think that you're safe for running into this temple, just remember what I did to Shiloh. 
the place where I set my name to dwell. And it says, go now to, to my place that was in Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first and see what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And what he's referring to, you can read it in 1 Samuel chapter four. You've got God's people there with the Ark of the Covenant. And I'll tell you, okay, here's what it makes me think of. Uh, back in the day, I used to have uh, a lucky rabbit's foot on a little chain that I'd hook on my belt loop, and it, it was awesome. <laughs> and I'd wear it with my Converse high tops that were turquoise, but when you roll it down, it was yellow, it was two-tone reversible. <laughs> it was the fit, man, they went together. But I had my lucky rabbit's foot. And I, I kept it with me. And the, the Israelites were using the ark of God as their lucky rabbit's foot. They thought, if I've got this box, if I've got God here, then I can do whatever I want. And you see in 1 Samuel chapter four, you see the Philistines coming to attack them and they, they get demolished in battle. And they're like, what's going on? We've got, we've, we've got the superior mascot. It's God. Like he's a... How did this happen? We better go grab from that tent the, the box and bring it to us so they got it even closer. We, maybe we're not close enough to the... And you know what happened? They got defeated again and they captured the rabbit's foot and took it with them. The Philistines took the Ark of God. So apparently, there, no place can save you. No box can save you. It's only a person that can save you. And look at how this was, Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines. And archaeological evidence shows that this happened around 1050 BC, that they got, that it got wiped out. And this was where God placed his name. Do you see how ruthless and relentless God is towards getting glory through the obedience and trust in hearts of his people. He'll stop at nothing. He'll even destroy the house where his name dwells. He'll stop at nothing. Even the ultimate temple in which the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. To get the obedience of his people and his, to get the obedience of the nations and his people he destroyed that temple named Jesus. He's ruthless in pursuit of humble, obedient hearts. Then look in verse 13, because he just got done talking about Shiloh and he's about to say, Okay, you guys in your current day temple, you think that you can run in here and be safe. He says, you're not safe. Look at what happened in Shiloh. And then he says in verse 13, and now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called you, you did not answer. So see what he's saying here? You did not listen and you did not answer. They had the law and they were obeying the law. 
and they weren't listening to his voice. You did not listen. That, that word there is Shema. And Shema is ground zero for the heart of what God wants out of his people. And it's translated listen, but that falls a little flat because when we think of listen, we, you've got kids, you know sometimes it goes in the ear and then there's not much to slow it down and it goes right out the other ear. But sound going in and hitting an eardrum and a stir up an anvil and the sound waves and all that is not what's in view here with the Hebrew mindset of listen. Shema means sound goes in, meaning the, the, the word of God goes in and out of the heart comes obedience. This is Shema. Shema means you hear. Hearing means listening and obeying. And so he says, look at what happened to Shiloh. And now I'm persistently coming after you and you consistently do not shema. And so verse 14, therefore, in light of you not listening, I will do to the house that is called by my name, this new temple that Solomon built, and in which you trust. They're trusting in the house, not the Lord. Do you see? I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave to you and your fathers as I did to Shiloh. As, that's a comparison word. He's saying, look at what I did to Shiloh and you can expect the exact same thing. This, as I did here, I will also do here. You think you're safe because you made it to the building while you're doing whatever you want and living in rebellion. That's, look at what I did at Shiloh. As I did there, I will do here because you did not. You refused to Shema. They're, and meanwhile, they're, they're practicing the religion. And they're not listening to his voice. Verse 15, and I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all of your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. He's basically saying, look, I've done it before and I'll do it again. Verse 16, now he shifts from, he was, what we just read was him speaking to, Ju to Judah through Jeremiah. And now he's gonna just turn and say, all right, Jeremiah, this is just for you. Verse 16, as for you, Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. Wow. Or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me. Why not? For I will not shema you. I'm not gonna hear it and act on it. Why would he tell a prophet not to pray for these people? It's too late. He's given them a real command and real opportunity to amend their ways and he knows they're not gonna take it. 
And so it says in verse 17, do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets in Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. So this is saying it's a family affair, this idol worship. They're all involved. The queen of heaven, goddess of fertility. And we've talked in the past about what goes into that worship. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Verse 19, is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? And so God is saying, if I look at the way y'all are acting, it's almost as if you're trying to poke the bear. It's like you're trying to make me mad. It's like you're trying to hurt me, but you're not, you're really hurting yourself by your insistent rebellion. And so he says in verse 20, therefore thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon the trees, the fields, the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. And again, they refuse to amend their ways And humble repentance is the only thing that will quench, at least temporarily, the wrath and anger of God until it's fully quenched on the cross. So his anger and wrath, he says, it will be poured out. It's too late for them. And in 586 BC, Babylon comes in and attacks Jerusalem and conquers and takes them away captive. So the judgment comes because it's too late. And now God starts to get a little sarcastic with his people. And this is him saying through Jeremiah to the people again. He's talking to disobedient Judah again and he gets snarky. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. He's telling them, eat the flesh. The idea is there's some sacrifices that the the worshiper and the priest eats and shares in a meal, a fellowship meal through sacrifice with the Lord. And then there are some offerings that are just burnt offerings that are all burnt up. And the idea is that God eats that. And he says, you know what? Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifice and you eat it because I'm not interested. I don't want it. I don't want your sacrifices. You're doing what you want to do and try to buy me off with some token obedience to law. And I don't want it. There's something that he wants more than their token obedience to religious law. He says in verse 22, For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. This is remarkable. Do you see what he just said? When I took them out of Egypt... Yes, I gave them the law, 
But the point of the law all along was not to create a religion in a religious people. The point was so that they would obey my voice. The law was to be an expression, some practical application of how they know me, hear my voice, and walk it out. And they flipped it to where now they're in love with the law and the code, and they look at that, obsess over that, add to that, listen to that, obey that, and totally reject the living God. And he says, it's never been, the, the goal from the very beginning was for them to obey my voice. And look at what it says, that I will be your God and you shall be my people. He wasn't trying to create a religion. He was trying to make for himself a people that he could look at them like he looks at you and say, I want you to be mine. And I want, I want me to be yours. I want us to have this perfect loving unity. I want to know you intimately. I want your heart. I don't want your religious practices. I want you. And this was kind of a beautiful, pleasant surprise to see even in the Old Testament. <laughs> this isn't a new thing. He's always been after the hearts of his people. Look at these verses and I want you to pay attention to what is it that God desires? What is it that he delights in? What is it that he is pleased with? First Samuel, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. He's definitely not delighted in the offerings there. Psalm 51, will you not delight in sacrifice? Sorry, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Isaiah 111. I'm gonna skip down to the middle there. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. Look in Hosea 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Isn't that beautiful? He wants them to know him and he wants to know them. He doesn't delight in the religious practices. He delights in them. Love, steadfast love, knowing him, their heart. Look at Micah 6, 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? No. He's not gonna delight in or be pleased with any of those things. He's pleased and desires and delights in humble, repentant hearts coming to know him, that he can be one with a people that he makes holy to himself. He wants you and he wants me. 
Kristen and I made vows uh, when we got married. And what do you think I would rather have? Her um, diligently, dutifully staying by my side through sickness and health and disdaining me and not having her heart? Or would I want her heart? Isn't the point of the vows to express, I wanna be one with you. And that might express itself in these different ways, but what I'm after is oneness, real oneness. And this is what he wants. He wants you. He wants me. Verse 24, Jeremiah 7, but they did not obey or incline their ears, but they walked in their own counsel and stubbornness of their evil hearts. They went backward, not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets to them day after day, yet they did not shema to me or incline their ear but they stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Notice they didn't incline their ear, they stiffened their neck. That word could also be hardened. Whether it's ears are sometimes plugged or not inclined or necks are stiffened or hardened and hearts are hardened and they're all the different ways of saying the same thing. They will not listen. And he says, Jeremiah, they're not gonna listen to you either. See verse 27. So Jeremiah, you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. And look, now all that's left to do is mourn. That's why he says, verse 29, cut off your hair, cast it away, raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. That's their end. And it's too late to do anything but mourn. Verse 34, the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. They've set their detestable things, the objects of false worship in the temple. That's not totally unlike me coming, if I were to come home and find another man's clothes in my bed, in my bedroom. God's people are cheating on God and giving themselves to other false gods. And it breaks and infuriates his heart and stirs his wrath, so he pours it out. It's coming. Verse 31, they have built the high places at Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it even come into my mind. The land of, the, the place of Topheth, that's a word with the Hebrew consonants for a fire stove, 
Uh, show that slide there. In Hebrew, the words are mainly formed and recognized by the consonants, which those are the dark, bold three. And then the vowels are the dots around it. And so tofith is the consonants for the word fire stove and the vowels of shame overlaid. So they made a new word that's fire stove of shame. Why? Because this is the valley. This is the place where God's people burned their own children to a false God named Molech. And he said, something like that never even came into my mind to do something so horrendous. Verse 32, therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will be no more called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth because there is no room elsewhere as the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and none will frighten them away. See what's happening here. He's saying, this valley is the place where you like to make child sacrifices and there's the mess and stench of burning flesh because of what you're doing here in this valley. And my judgment, when it comes, there's gonna be so many dead bodies of adults and everyone that they're not even gonna be able to bury them all. They're gonna pile them into this valley that are eventually gonna be burned. And it reminds me of how God spoke to his people in the wilderness whenever they got tired of manna and were complaining for quail, where God's like, oh, you're tired of that miraculous provision of bread? You, you'd rather have some, some quail? You'd rather have some bird? You'd rather have some meat? Okay, you, you want... You want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you meat until it's coming out your nostrils. Do you remember this story? And I, f I feel it reminds me, that this story reminds me of that because it makes me think of God going, oh, you, you like death? You like burning flesh? I'll, I'll give you a valley full of burning dead flesh. And it's coming when my judgment comes. And this place is a valley that is a place for burning trash and burning dead bodies, that is a continual burning where worms and maggots are continually there eating and feeding and not dying. And there is ongoing fire. And this valley is what Jesus thinks of. And the word here translated into Greek is Gehenna. And that's the word Jesus used, uses to describe eternal separation from God, hell. This is the judgment that he pours out on Judah because they, instead of listening to him, persist in their false worship to the most vulgar extremes. And so it's as if God says, all right, you're not gonna listen to me. You're gonna silence my voice, then I'll silence yours. Look at verse 34. 
I will silence in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem the voices of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall become a waste. So he told them, amend your ways. And they didn't. It's too late for them. The offer is repent and you get to dwell with me forever. That offer they did not take advantage of and it's too late for them, but it is not too late for us. It's not too late for us to amend our ways and listen to the voice of our Lord Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says. Do you remember he said, beware of practicing your religion, your righteousness to be seen by men? Those normal religious rhythms that we all partake of, do we do that to be seen? Are we doing them by muscle memory? Matthew 7, he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They did all the religious stuff and they showed up at the building at all the right times and did all the right things. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. There's a big difference between being a Christian and doing the Christian things and actually knowing Jesus and actually listening to his voice. Luke 6, 46 is still haunting me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And then in John 10, he says, my sheep know my voice. Do you know his voice? Do you know how to listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus? Man, please don't settle for being a Christian. Don't settle for coming to the building and doing the things. When you can know him, he wants to know you. He wants to have conversational intimacy with you. We don't obey our religion. We don't even obey the law. We obey the one who fulfilled it. We obey Jesus. If you have replaced accidentally Knowing Jesus, listening to his voice, if you've replaced that by simply being a Christian and doing the Christian things and seeing the Christian shows and voting the Christian ways and not doing the non-Christian things, if you've settled for that and there's no daily listening to his voice, no wrestling in the word, in conversations with him, in obeying his voice in a way that stretches you, 
It's not too late. Amend your ways. You can dwell with him in intimate fellowship. We can hear from the living God anytime we want. And he can hear us. We can have intimacy. Whatever your chocolate donuts are, don't trust them. The things that you just, stuff from the past that you're like, I have a vague memory. I think this is something. I think I'll just do this and stop looking to the Lord. Don't trust that. Don't trust the things you do. Don't trust this church. Don't trust your religion. Don't listen to Christian culture. Trust Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Daily, come to Jesus and listen to him. If for the first time, come to Jesus. And if a renewal, come to Jesus now for a renewal of daily conversational intimacy with the lover of your souls. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, Uh, thank you for becoming the object of your father's wrath. I am the one who refused to listen, who provoked you to anger, who deserves death, And Jesus, you were pleased to dwell <laughs> in bodily form and become the temple of God where his name dwells and you took his wrath and his judgment and it destroyed you. You became sin you who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that I might become the righteousness of God in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would just come to you with a contrite, broken, humble heart and say, Jesus, I'm, I need you. I'm done playing Christian and I'm ready to know you. I surrender to you, Jesus. And for all of us, we repent together and say we're pressing in more now, now more than ever, every day, and we're not gonna settle for quick little checklist quiet times anymore. We're pressing in to hear from the living God. We wanna hear your voice. We wanna know you more. we will approach the throne of grace boldly, expecting to hear from you, Lord. We will listen. <laughs> and we say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. We love you, we surrender to you, we worship you, we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Okay, before I read this benediction from first, uh, I mean Hebrews 13, I want you to hear the main, uh, it's a long sentence, so I want you to hear the guts of it. It's, may God equip you and work in you what's pleasing in him, which is just saying, you don't have to do it. This is not a religion about us doing things. It's about him equipping you and him doing the work through us so that he can be pleased in himself in you. So hear this. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed. We hope you've been inspired and blessed by the truths of God's word shared today. At Faith Bible Church, we believe that all Christians should actively participate in the local church. It is in the community of believers where we grow in faith, encourage one another, and serve God together. We invite you to visit, and hopefully become, a part of our Faith Bible Church family. You'll find a welcoming and nurturing environment to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Our address, service times, and more information can be found on our website, brazosfaith.org. Thank you again for joining us in this meaningful journey through God's Word.